connections. And we're going to start in Genesis 37 with the story of Joseph. Not the whole story, though. The whole story of Joseph um, is, goes on for several chapters. But today we're just looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 37. We pick up knowing that there is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob called by God. And then Joseph is one of the 12 sons that was born um, to Jacob, who is also renamed Israel. So depending on how your, um, your version handles it and different places in Scripture, um, Jacob and Israel are the same person. But as we come to this story, as we think about a God who longs to connect with us, and also knowing that the connections that we make throughout life are going to contribute to our identity, as we hold all of that together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the Word, and then we'll read the Scriptures together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and speak. Speak fresh through your word. Open our minds and our hearts to what it is that you want us to hold on to, to treasure in our hearts. Speak, O Holy Spirit, and fill us with your words. Fill us with your truth that we may better understand our identity in you. May your word be living and active to us today as it has been for all the communion of saints that have gone before us and will continue to be until you call us home, Jesus. Speak, O Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to read Genesis 37, 1 through 11. After the reading of God's word, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to respond with thanks be to God. Genesis 37, beginning at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joseph. 
What a punk. I mean, I know that maybe it doesn't feel like the first word that we should say about one of, you know, one of the, the original core four patriarchs of the Old Testament, but what a punk. I mean, 17 years old, we know from later in his story that he's ruddy and handsome, and he loves to get a dig in on his brothers. Oh, let me tell you about this dream that I had where I was definitely in charge and you were bowing down to me. Oh, man, what an arrogant little brat. And, you know, there's some favoritism already going on that's already stirred the pot. You know, everybody else is out there wearing, you know, normal clothes, and, and Joseph got his nice robe because favoritism has run in the family up to this point. There is, when Abraham and Sarah, there is Isaac and Ishmael, some favoritism happened. And then that transferred between Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, between Jacob and Esau. And now Jacob, the trickster of his youth, who then is called Israel, the one who wrestles with God, Jacob, Jacob Israel, trickster who wrestles with God, um, has now continued to play the favoritism card by definitely favoriting, favoring Joseph and making no mistake about it. And then Joseph does not receive this in humility. He builds on it. He can't help but to tell his brothers. He can't help but to be a little tattletale and tell on the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, two of the servants, who are also wives of Jacob. Joseph is a punk. And he's favored. He's loved. And I just love the fact that, you know, it's not enough to talk about the sheaves of grain bowing down, but then the sun, moon, and stars which it's not very hard jump to make if you know that often the sun and the moon were symbols of father and mother. So to say, the sun and moon bowed down to me in the 11 stars. Oh, and I've got 11 brothers, by the way. So definitely my mother and father and brothers are all bowing down to me. At that point, we've gone from arrogant little punk to delusions of grandeur. You're having visions of the celestial bodies in the sky bowing down to you. Okay, Joseph, slow down. We know the rest of the story. And so we know, if we've looked ahead and read ahead and are familiar, that what Joseph is saying is true and that God has, in fact, connected with Joseph through these dreams and that God will connect Joseph with people later in his life and Joseph will interpret their dreams. We can know by looking ahead that Joseph is connected with God. But if you were one of Joseph's brothers, just put yourself quite honestly, out in the fields with this little punk who thinks that he's in charge, and you would not guess that he was the first person on God's list to connect with in your family. Joseph, ah, he can be quite something. Now, his life won't always be sunshine and roses, and yet he starts out in this manner, soaking up favoritism, rubbing it in a little bit. He's just kind of stuck up. Joseph is not the person that we would first guess that God would connect with. And yet, God does. God connects with Joseph and has a, a purpose for the relationships that Joseph will enter into, for the places that he will belong. He's going to spend a pretty big chunk of his life not in Canaan, not in the promised land, but in Egypt. And through all of this, his identity as one of God's chosen people never falters. But that does not make him perfect. Now, some of us 
might look around at our neighbor and we might see some of the young punk Josephs. We might see some folks and think something about those that are our neighbors and think that is not the person that is first on God's list to connect to. Or maybe you're the opposite of Joseph and you in your own mind think, I mean, Joseph was special. He had dreams and visions and all these other things. I'm nobody special. God would not go out of God's way to connect with me. We could come up with all kinds of reasons that God shouldn't connect with that mean boss that we have, that arrogant person, um, or this, that, and the other character flaw that we could discount someone else. And when it comes to ourself, well, hopefully you're not like, well, I'm just awesome. Of course God would want to connect with me, although that might be true through what God has done in Christ. But many of us might be more likely to say, why would God connect with me? I'm not smart enough, talented enough. I'm not that useful. I've got to figure out my addictions. I've got to, you know, do more of the right things. I don't think God's that God, I've got some work to do before God's interested in connecting with me. But friends, our God is in the ever-present business of making connections with humanity. And that I believe this fully, that God longs to connect with each and every one of us. And God longs to connect with each and every one of your neighbors. Even the neighbor that you might think a little bit less of. Maybe the, the Joseph, young Joseph type characters that should be lower on God's list. God longs to connect with each and every one of us. It is God's heart and passion. Now most fully, we've seen this on the cross, that Jesus came down and made a connection with us and died for our sins, that that connection between us and God could be brought into right relationship, that we could belong to God without fault or blemish through what Christ has done for us. Connection and relationship and belonging all found in the story of Scripture of God's revelation of God's people. But you know what? The Bible is full of people who either didn't think they were worthy of God's attention Maybe you feel that way sometimes. People like Gideon who are hiding. Or people who would come up with pretty good reasons that we would agree that they should not have been God's first choice. There was little punks like Joseph. There were, you know, Saul didn't look so promising. Forward to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was so full of himself that he was out persecuting the church and killing Christians because he thought it was the right thing to do. He would not have been anybody's first-round draft pick of the church hiding from Paul. And yet God said, I want to connect with that guy. And I'm going to bring him into relationship with me that he knows that he belongs to me, not through the law, but through Jesus. And I'm going to use him in amazing ways. Our connections will, will make who we are. And God is connecting with Joseph. Now, even Jacob Israel who rebukes Joseph for the dream about, you know, having the sun, moon, and stars bow down to him. Jacob does rebuke Joseph for that dream. But even then, Scripture tells us that he kept the matter in mind. His brothers were still jealous of him, verse 11, but his father, Jacob Israel, kept the matter in mind. Maybe it's because Jacob knows that he was a bit of a trickster who didn't treat his brother super well either when he was around Joseph's age. 
But when I hear one thing in Scripture that resonates and echoes with another, it draws my attention to those characters in Scripture, despite their flaws, who were attentive to God and what God was up to. We are told that Jacob kept the matter in mind. That sounds like another parent in Scripture. Fast forward to the New Testament with Mary. Twice in Luke chapter 2, we are told that Mary, the mother of Jesus, treasured these things in her heart. Once when they were visited in the manger, and another time after their grandparenting moment where they kind of forgot baby Jesus at the temple, adolescent Jesus. I will say if you're going to forget your kids somewhere, church isn't the worst option. But all the same... But the things that came about, and then we're told once again that Mary treasured these things in her heart because she is paying attention to what God is doing. She has an eye and a lens for wondering, what might God be up to? I need to remember this. I need to hold on to this. And Jacob, Jacob trickster renamed Israel, the one who wrestles with God, is also has a lens out for what God might be up to through his son Joseph. He has to rebuke him, but also he's wondering if there's something to this. He is open to the idea that God might be at work, even in that little 17-year-old punk named Joseph. And I am aware that we have one person at least in this room named Joseph, and, you know, we love you more in family. But if Joseph starts telling you about dreams, Paul, Luke, Lydia, watch out. <laughs> they might be right. But there's an, there's an openness. There's a paying attention to what God is up to, for how God is connecting with the world. We, as people of faith in Jesus Christ, should know just by the fact that every December we celebrate that Jesus came into the world to make connections here that God is not far off, God is not aloof, but God is always longing and waiting for a connection with us and wants it and asks for it. And our response is simply to be intentional about connecting with God, the one who longs to be connected with us. At baptism, we often give the um, Jesus storybook Bible, and I love the description of the type of love and connection that God is longing for that the Jesus Storybook Bible gives, that it is God's always and forever never giving up love. And they change around the word or a little bit through different stories. But an always and forever never giving up type of love that God has for each of us. That God longs for it. And sometimes we don't feel worthy of it, but we are made worthy in Christ through our identity found in baptism and other times we look at some other people, maybe not sitting too far away from us, and we're thinking, eh, I don't know if they're on God's first round draft pick either. God longs for a connection with all of us. God connects with Joseph first. He started it. Joseph did not prove himself worthy in any way, and yet God still came to him and began to give him dreams and gave him more interpretation and understanding of dreams as he was raised with age. The beauty and bigness of God's grace is that God is always longing to connect with you because God is in that business, and it's bigger than our preferences. It's bigger than our accomplishments. God's longing for us is steadfast, and forever. And so we would be wise to take a page out of the book of Jacob and Mary, who were paying attention to what God might be up to. 
often on, on mission trips, I hope we bring this back with us too, we talk about God sightings, paying attention to what God is up to. That that's not just for when we're away from home, but that is always every day. For God's always and forever never giving up love around us. Joseph's story will continue. He'll continue to make connections. Some of those will turn into relationships. His belonging will shift a little bit from Canaan to God has him belong in Egypt for a time. But through all of his story, and that's where we'll finish with in a few weeks, for all of his story, God has a trajectory in mind that he is protecting, that he has Joseph in a specific place and reason for. So friends, as we think about connection, who do you connect with? And is there time set aside in your daily and weekly rhythms where you're going to connect with God? And what kind of connection with your neighbor are you looking for and searching for and hoping for? God's longing to connect with us is a sign of God's grace. And connections are the stuff of relationships. Consider the, maybe the easiest example that comes to mind is maybe a relative or friend that you were close with and have not spoken to in years. You could say that you have a relationship, but it's been a while. You have not been connected for some time. Connection is the fuel of relationships. And so if there's someone that you are intending to be in relationship with, but there's no connection, well, at some point, the, the relationship is the connection. It's the conversations, it's the shared time, it's the investment in one another. Joseph is going to have a rocky relationship with his brothers, and yet they will connect and reestablish relationships later in time. But for us today, suffice it to be the thesis of, of chapter 37, 1 through 11, this starting point, is that God, God saw Joseph as someone worth connecting with, and that God spoke to him in dreams, and that God sees you as someone worth connecting with. Not after you figure this out, after you figure that out, not after you get better at this, that, or the other, but that here and right now, God longs to connect with you. God longs for that relationship to be made right with you so that you can know your belonging and find meaning in your story and testimony through God's story and that your identity can be found not in the stuff of this world, but in Jesus Christ. Now, there might be things that stand in our way, barriers of resistance that we put up. There are things that we all have to work on, that we're going to not connect as well with God when there's barriers that we put up. There's walls that we'll put up to feel to keep ourselves safe. But God's always and forever love will keep after us, just as God will never leave Joseph through all of the twists and turns that his story will take. God starts with us based on grace, free of merit, free of work, to connect with us. And why would God want to do this? For one, out of God's great love, but also that God might use us to connect with our neighbors. And as Jesus basically told us, you know what, everyone you meet can be your neighbor. You are all neighbors on planet Earth. Why would God maybe use us for a connection, though? So that we can bless, that we can share Jesus, that we can bring peace, that we can share the portion of our identity in which we find our meaning with those around us? 
that God can connect with us and connect us with others for meaningful opportunities of service, whether it be the places that we go or the relationships through Barnabas that we form, that all of this is found through God connecting with us to be used to connect with others. But maybe to put this in a story to help us imagine an important difference that we can be mindful of is the difference between a connection and a transaction. Connection versus transaction. A transaction will not necessarily build a relationship, but a connection will. And the story goes like this. A customer walked into the same coffee shop at the same time of day on the same commute that always took place. Monday through Friday, most Saturdays, same coffee shop, same commute. Customer walks in and places basically the same order. And then the barista, the person working at the coffee shop, asks, what name can I put on the order? And the customer, indignant, berated the barista and said, I come in here every day with the same order and I tell you my name every single time that I order the same thing at the same time of day. How do you not yet know my name? How do you not know my name? I'm here every day, and you have to ask me this question every day. You should know my name by now. The barista could have argued, have you noticed that it's a busy shift? Have you noticed that you are one of several people who come in every day with the same order, and that it's not actually my job to learn your name necessarily? But instead of trying to argue on those combative terms, the barista responded differently and covered up the name tag badge and said, you come in here every day. I'm here every day. Why do you not know my name yet? Transaction would say, this person is a means to an end for me to put my order and get my coffee. But by God's lens that we should view the world with, the person matters more than the coffee. If it doesn't, then coffee's an idol and you all need to repent of that. But rather, the person, do you know my name? You see me every day. Have you ever asked, or am I just a machine to you? Are you looking to make any kind of connection here, or is there any relationship? This is the difference of connection versus simple transaction. Every person that we meet at every store and shop and place of work is the opportunity for a connection. Not just a transaction, lest we love things and use people but rather that we should love people and use things. Connection will have a name attached to it. And, you know, I wouldn't say you should go up to every person on the sidewalk and say, what's your name? Might get a little bit creepy. But for the people that we interact with, if we see people as people, if we long to see our neighbor as God sees our neighbor, then they're more than just a transactional interaction of our day. But that every person bears the image of God and has the dignity of God in their hearts and written upon them. That every person is worthy of our connection. And we remember in humility that we, even in our sins and brokenness, were worthy of God reaching out to connect with us. That this should shape and form our understanding of wanting to connect with those around us as God first loved us. And so we come to the table knowing that this is a place of connection and that this is not transactional by nature. Yes, you will come forward and receive a piece of bread and the cup, 
but that this is not a transaction. This is one of the places that we connect with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that when we come forward and receive the bread and the cup, we know that Jesus knows you by name. Jesus knows every hair that will fall from your head will not fall without the knowledge of God the Father in heaven. Jesus knows you by name. Remember that when you come forward today. Jesus knows you by name and loves you and longs to reach out to you. And that also when you come to this table, that it is bread and it is juice. But behind all of that is a Savior who you know the name of. His name is Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend. And so friends, as we come to this table, we long to connect with God, not by transaction, but a connection that builds relationship. And in that relationship, we find belonging at this table, that we belong to each other because we ultimately all belong to God. And that the story of God's revelation of God's people given to us in the scriptures continues on and our testimony finds meaning in God's great story. And so friends, beloved, known by name by the Lord Jesus Christ, we come together to celebrate a feast of remembrance, communion, and hope. We come in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, that he was sent of the Father into the world, that he took on flesh and blood, and that through all obedience, he died on the cross for us. And we remember the story that by his death and resurrection and ascension, he has established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation with us, that we might be accepted by God, that we belong to God and will never be forsaken by him. We come in remembrance, and we also come in communion with the same Christ, meaning quite simply that it's not just the people you see, that it's Nick and Karen and Steve and Brian and Kelly and Mandy and Mike and Ella. It's not just the communion that we have with one another, though this is the communion of saints. We come to commune with the living Christ who is with us. Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. And that in the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as he longs for us to know him. And as the true heavenly bread, he will strengthen us unto life eternal. And that in the cup of blessing for which we give thanks, Christ comes to us as the true vine, that we must abide in him. We must be connected to Jesus if we are to bear fruit. We come in remembrance of what Christ has done. We come in communion of the living Christ. And we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love, of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. And with unveiled face we shall behold him and be made like him into all of his glory. If we hope in things of this world, it is optimism at best. But our hope in Christ is secure and eternal, for it has been purchased with Christ's own blood. Since by Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, he has obtained for us the life-giving Holy Spirit that unites us all into one body,